You are Locked On Bruins alongside Nick Cope. I'm Brian Fenley. Our show, well, it's got its own Twitter handle. Follow it, Locked On Bruins. Nick's Twitter is N-K-O-O-P. Follow me as well, at Brian Fenley. And if you want to connect with us on the email hemisphere, do so at LockedOnBruins at gmail.com. And we ask you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So on the easel Today, we've got a couple very various topics to discuss from special teams to what degree Chip Kelly values versatility. And we will provide several examples of how he does that with certain position players and how he utilizes them in different ways. And then we will finish up this episode by decoding the AP top 25 preseason poll that was released The Pac-12 had high representation, and we'll expound upon how that conference fits into the overall picture of the top 25 poll and college football. But first, we begin with the special teams. And Nick, there are a couple programs in the Pac-12 that have coaches that specifically spend all of their time working in special teams from Oregon State being one of them. Also, Arizona is one. In fact, their special teams coordinator slash coach, his name is Jeremy Springer. And if you see Jeremy really fast, it sounds like Jerry Springer. And Derek Sage is the special teams coordinator for UCLA. And Nick, this is not a guy who does it all by himself, right? From a special teams perspective, he gets help from other position group coaches for the Bruins. Yeah, it's really a full staff effort when it comes to special teams. And I feel like that makes sense. Chip Kelly said everybody, uh, but, you know, Justin Fry as the offensive line coach um, and then the uh, quarterbacks coach, Dana Bible, everybody else is involved with special team drills. And it makes sense because you have so many different things going on. You know, you've got your traditional wide receivers and DBs working on the outside. Uh, And Paul Rhodes is very involved with those drills in terms of coverage downfield and, and returning coverage as well. You've got the lines to worry about. So in a way it's almost an extension of really the offense and defense when you really break it down, especially when you're looking at punts Uh, kickoff is a little bit different. And perhaps that's where a coordinator comes in and kind of helping oversee it. But again, you know, covering on a kickoff can can tie in similar things as returning punts and then that DBs deal with in coverage. So it does make sense. And I think it all kind of stems from this idea that, you know, not to say that Chip Kelly doesn't value special teams, but I think we've seen in, in, in listening to him, you can kind of get that it's not the most important in that your chances of getting a high reward play to happen are so low, you know, like for example, he's just going to take the 25 yard line on the kickoff every time because yes, we can get a kickoff return for touchdown. Like we saw with Darnay Holmes in the Stanford game, but maybe the other team covers very well. And now we're starting inside the 20. So I, I think there's certainly a, a sense uh, with this coaching staff and perhaps with Chip Kelly that, you know what, let's just 
do a, a solid job, so to speak. Let's not put ourselves in any high-risk situations, and let's let our offense and our defense take care of the rest. In other words, let's not put ourselves in a position like in the game against Oregon last year when the Ducks pretty much profited off three touchdowns due to lapses with UCLA's special teams. We said it's Derek Sage. He is the special teams coordinator, but he also is the tight ends coach. And he does have experience working with the special teams area of a team. In fact, when he was at Wyoming as a receivers coach there for four years, he also dabbled in special teams work. And Chip Kelly recently praised what he did in Wyoming and felt like what he did there was good enough for what he could do with UCLA and sort of overseeing the special teams realm of things. And again, like you said, Nick, think of special teams as far as how Chip Kelly looks at it as sort of like a group project. Now, we all had group projects growing up in grade school, and we all remember that one kid, maybe his name was Billy Bob or Danny, who sat there and didn't do anything and expected everybody else to do all the work and then got the A as well because he was part of a really good team. Well, that doesn't fly like with UCLA. Everybody, like you said, different position group coaches have responsibilities, shared responsibilities with the special teams in order to make it function at a high level. So it does take a lot of different people. He did say, Chip, that the quarterback and the offensive line coaches are not part of it, but basically said that everybody else plays some sort of role in making this happen. And Nick, you know this is Derek Sage's first year as the special teams coordinator. We had Roy Manning last year, who is now the cornerbacks coach at Oklahoma. But as much confidence as it seems that Chip is having in the development and the growth of the special teams, and, and several players have talked about Chip simplifying things in special teams. And providing that, it allows you to, to get things in a muscle memory perspective where things become so second nature that you don't have to think. But are you at all concerned, Nick, of, of the lack of maybe continuity with a special teams coordinator at least three years now where we've had a different special teams coordinator each year? We've had changing of head coaches. And I know that certainly consistency and continuity can play a big part in the success of any position group and special teams for sure. Yeah, I think I, I get what you're saying there at the end, but at the same time, I think, you know, special teams is pretty straightforward in terms of really what you're trying to accomplish. It's not, you know, there's so much more going on on a given play from scrimmage when you have offenses and defenses on the field. Um, you know, obviously you'll have some wrinkles in special teams and maybe you'll try some trick plays, but for the most part, you're trying to get a punt off. You're trying to feel the punt cleanly. You're trying to cover on a kickoff. And when you're returning a kickoff, trying to give a ball, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And so when I hear Chip Kelly talk about, or, or players talk about Chip Kelly simplifying things on special teams, uh, I really just think it means that, look, 
these plays, especially kick kickoffs, punts, you know, field goals are obviously a separate thing. You're, you're trying to score points there. Uh, but you know, kickoffs, punts are plays that really aren't likely to affect a game very much, but one little thing, and they can dramatically alter a game, you know, very low percentage that it can, that it could happen. So the Bruins are really focusing on tightening those things up and just making it, I think, an, another part of the game, you know, uh, something that's not going to really alter things and, and their offense and defenses can go onto the field with confidence. A key tenet to what Chip Kelly does is versatility. He preaches versatility as far as players who are not confined to one specific position and having the capability and the athleticism to move around and fill different voids when needed come the season. And coming up in our next segment, Nick and I will dissect how Chip Kelly preaches versatility and how certain players are being tasked to take on multiple different roles, particularly within the defense. But first, fantasy football players, make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else. Then you are the same. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked on Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back to Locked on Bruins alongside Nick Cope. I'm Brian Fenley. Connect with us on Twitter. Nick's Twitter is N-K-O-O-P. I'm at Brian Fenley. The show's Twitter handle reads Locked on Bruins. And if you feel inclined, send us an email, will you, at LockedOnBruins at gmail. This segment, we will elaborate on what versatility means for Chip Kelly and to what degree he uses versatility to his advantage on the football field. And Nick, what we've seen from fall camp is certain players being not just persuaded, but almost forced to take on a wide variety of different roles. And what Chip notices is when guys start to get that, it can provide boundless benefits for a team, especially when they're going up against different offenses and different teams with different schemes. Yeah, and and guys want to play too, right? So if there's another avenue for you to get on the field that maybe is a little different than what you initially had planned for yourself, well, sure, you'll take getting on the field, no problem. I, we saw towards the beginning of camp, uh, Odua Isabor, uh, defensive end, but has gotten work at outside linebacker. And Chip Kelly had said he would play, you know, work at both positions. And then this past week, uh, touched on the nickel cornerbacks a bit. Guys like Jay Shaw, Carl Jones, Mo Osling, a, a safety that has gotten work at a couple different positions. Kenny Churchwell, these are all players he's talked about also getting reps at linebacker. And I found this interesting because it makes a lot of sense. He talked about, look, it's all about matchups, right? If you're on a passing down, who do you want in there at linebacker? Do you want your traditional big bruising guy? Or, assuming you have a shifty back, running back on the opposite side of the line, 
you probably want someone that's got maybe a little more athleticism that can go sideline to sideline a little quicker. And it makes a lot of sense. So you've got these guys like Jones, Osling, Shaw, and Churchwell that are getting reps at linebacker. Uh, so Chip Kelly's going to have some flexibility here. I think we figured Jay Shaw is kind of the, the guy. He got the most reps out of all these guys last year at the nickel position. But then there's all these guys behind them that they can slide in and get some work there at the linebacker on passing downs. And then if something were to happen to Jay Shaw or if you, you know, he just needs to come out of the game for a moment, you got these other guys that could rotate in. It, and when I first heard Chip Kelly say this, Brian, and, and talk about this flexibility, it, it reminded me of basketball in the NBA, how that game is really going to having guys who are, you know, in that six, seven, six, 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 eight range who can play yeah. multiple positions. And you kind of see this similar idea here with the Bruins. You also can kind of relate it to, to life in general. Like, let's say you're looking for a job and you specialize in one skill and maybe you're really, really good at that. You limit your opportunities, but you become more marketable if you have a wide variety of different talents. And so you become more coveted by different companies, say, based on your ability to do different things. So you open yourself up to more opportunities. And like you said, a lot of kids want to play. How do they get out there? They have to be adaptive to when their number is called, they can go outside their comfort zone and maybe play a position that they didn't necessarily spend the bulk of their time doing in high school. Now you spoke about flexibility. John Gaines on the offensive line for UCLA has been practicing center, guard, and tackle. So the guy has done it all in fall camp and throughout spring ball. He, he spoke to the media yesterday, and he was asked the power and the role that once offensive line coach Justin Fry, who has now turned into the offensive coordinator, has had on him. And John said, quote, He's the best coach in the country. He's the most honest person you'll ever meet. And that's something I really wanted. In recruiting, there's a lot of fluff, a lot of stuff that might not be the most honest. But meeting Coach Fry adds a different element to it. I can't. Yeah, go for it, Nick. No, 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 I was just going to say that kind of reminds me of why Sean Ryan also was drawn to the program as well. Sean Ryan and John Gaines have been hanging out off the football field. John Gaines said that he and Sean hung out last weekend and basically described Sean as this guy who's from the beach. He's from the OC and just likes to quote, sit around at the beach and chill. But obviously that's not a full representation and a depiction of Sean. I just think that, they, these guys are very comfortable with each other. They're relatable. And I also discovered that John Gaines was actually student body president in high school and that he actually was initially committed to Princeton and then 
Chip Kelly gave him a call, and obviously the persuading powers in Chip Kelly's voice changed John Gaines's mind, and he ended up coming to UCLA. He also talked about kind of being under the radar in the recruiting world because his grandfather passed away, and so there were some showcase camps that he was not able to go to because of that. But when you see John on the field, know that he plays with the passion to, as he describes, in a way to remember his grandfather and make him proud. So he he's one, Nick, who is the the epitome of a team player. Flexible coach, put me in wherever I'm up to the task. And that's exactly what the team needs on the offensive line. I mean, we've already had one injury in Alec Anderson. And, you know, if a second injury happens, you want to feel comfortable about somebody going in. So to have a guy like John Gaines that you feel comfortable being able to play multiple positions, that is huge. And, you know, Chip Kelly, whenever asked about players, always praises them. I I don't think I've heard him not praise somebody, but he really seems to like the way that John Gaines has come in and performed. And, you know, you can kind of, read between the lines a little bit and really see that John Gaines has really progressed well. And if he doesn't have an opportunity to play much this year, it sounds like going forward, there's going to be a spot on this offensive line for him. Yeah, no question about it. I feel like he's one of those sleepers who is going to all of a sudden play a pivotal role on the offensive line when his number is called. Coming up next, the Pac-12 getting some nice love in the Associated Press preseason top 25 college football poll. What does this say about the conference? Nick and I will debate. But first, the new Locked On NFL is on fire. Last week, it was one of the most listened to NFL shows. With the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and hosted by Brian Peacock, Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. Follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. And welcome back to Locked On Bruins. He's Nick Cope. I'm Brian Fenley. Follow us on Twitter if you do consider yourself a Bruin fan or want to be in any way educated with UCLA sports. Nick's Twitter is NKOOP. I'm at Brian Fenley. And hit the follow button for our Twitter show handle. That is Locked On Bruins. This segment, we will take the microscope and put it over the Associated Press preseason top 25 poll that was released yesterday. In the past, Nick, the Pac-12 getting a bad rap nationally for how it has performed up against the other Power 5 conferences. But what I'm seeing from the high volume of representation in the top 25 with five Pac-12 teams in the top 25 and then three other schools getting votes so a total of eight schools out of the Pac-12 showing up in some capacity in the Pac-12 as far as the top 25 AP preseason poll I think that's a good sign for the conference yeah especially when you consider all the offseason talk and 
you know, basketball season didn't help either. Like, you know, what's going on with the Pac-12? It seemed like, you know, the the national media was sort of poking holes in the conference and saying, what's going on here? When are they going to be back? And it's kind of a little, maybe a little surprising to see those five teams in the poll. So they were Oregon at 11, Washington at 13, Utah at 14. I think that kind of makes sense where they are and that they're bunched together, given what we saw out of the conference preseason poll. There wasn't much that separated those three teams uh, from being conference favorites. Uh, but then Washington State at 23, Sanford at 25. You know, a little surprising. I, I think perhaps some respect for the coaches there. You got Mike Leach. Uh, at Washington State and perhaps people thinking that he'll just be able to plug a quarterback in and sure. just keep on rolling Stanford though I mean with all the pieces they've lost and to be 25th I thought was a vote of confidence just for the program that's in place there and then at the tail end of the poll in the receiving vote section as you alluded to ASU with three points USC with a point and then I was stunned actually Arizona with a point. I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like the media is hearkening back to two years ago when Khalil Tate went off with his dazzling play on the ground, and they forgot that that's two years ago, and maybe they think that he can resurrect that in his senior year under Kevin Sumlin now that Sumlin's got a year of experience in Tucson. As far as Stanford, they have a great quarterback in K.J. Costello, and we think of the Justin Herberts of the world as shoo-in Heisman candidates, but why can't K.J. Costello be part of that conversation if the offensive line, which will have four new starters this year, gives him some sort of ample time because Costello led the Pac-12 last year in passing efficiency and had just over 3,500 yards, which was second in school history in a season. And, and like you said, Nick, Washington State, a lot of confidence in Mike Leach's scheme because that program hasn't even announced their starting quarterback while Mike Leach seems to be leaning on Anthony Gordon to take that job. The Big Ten led all Power Five conferences with seven teams in the AP Top 25 poll, the SEC with six teams, the Pac-12 in third, the ACC only two, Utah, as you said, number 14. This is the first time that they have been ranked in the preseason poll in the Pac-12 era. So, and it's the third time in program history dating back to their Mountain West days that they have been included in the AP Top 25 poll. And I find one thing that could fluctuate, Nick, and I'm looking at Oregon and... Oh, yeah, that week one game. That's... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Auburn, they're 16th in the AP Top 25 poll. Oregon has their quarterback. And to know Justin Herbert is to know that a guy who is very devoted to his academics, he is very much into biology. He's a teaching assistant. He tutors students. He's got a great GPA. And so when you see Justin Herbert slinging touchdown passes against Auburn, also remember that this is the same guy who, as a kid, would spend numerous hours 
in the afternoons raising quail, frogs, and butterflies at his grandfather's and grandparents' house and actually is a duck and raised ducks growing up. So <laughs> I will if, definitely not forget that now. Yeah, yeah. don't forget, when you think of this man churning out touchdowns, also think about his love for wildlife. But I just look at Oregon, Nick, and, and maybe I'm just going back from last year, but there's always that one game that you pretty much write them in as a win, only to let us down. And I'm just not so certain that Oregon doesn't have one of those type of losses in them this year where they are the heavy favorites and they underperform and all of a sudden the hype starts to fade away. Yeah, they've got a lot to prove this year. I think this is really the year for for Mario Cristobal to, to prove his worth and for Oregon to show that all this hype is warranted. It's all set up. They have so many pieces coming back. Justin Herbert is, you know, this is it for him. Um, so you're going to have to figure out quarterback after this year. It's kind of right here right now. If you want to make a chance for the playoff, Oregon seems like given this week one game against Auburn, Oregon's probably the Pac-12's best chance to get into the playoff. And so if not even that for, for the Rose Bowl for Oregon. So this is kind of a put up or, or shut up type year for Oregon. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really, really curious to see that week one game because Washington was not that close last year against Auburn. An Auburn team this year that's probably not quite as good as last year. Uh, but I mean they're still going to be a really good team in the SEC, and it's going to be a great test for Oregon Week 1. The Huskies have all four of those other Pac-12 teams in the top 25 on their schedule this year, Yeah, and three of them are at home, so that's good. Bo Calvert, who is a linebacker for UCLA, his brother is actually Josh and is on the Huskies, and according to the Seattle Times yesterday, Josh Calvert, who was supposed to play a a pretty large part in the defense, was ruled out for the season with a knee injury. So that's unfortunate for the the four-star prospect from Southern California, the brother of UCLA's Bo Calvert. But yeah, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of change with what we see in the top 25. I could oh, no see, doubt. Yeah, yeah I, I could see Washington dropping down a little bit. But sure. again, even you could spend hours and hours in studying and have it yeah. think it's going to go one way only for the unthinkable to happen. Yeah. And, and I just looked at last year's poll just for an idea and it wasn't too different for the Pac-12. They had four teams. Things were, were more balanced. Uh, so you read off where the conferences were uh, are at this year, but last year the SEC, it was a lot more balanced. The SEC had five, Big Ten five, ACC four, as did the Big 12. And the Pac-12, you had Washington in the top ten at six. Stanford was 13. USC, remember this, was 15. And Oregon was 24. Uh, so not a whole lot different did where things were preseason a year ago, but to kind of sum up here, I, the five teams this year, 
I still think surprising just giving the conference's reputation at the moment to get those five teams in shows that people haven't given up on the Pac-12 yet, and they think there's going to be some quality teams in there. Yeah, and it starts with Oregon, who has a test with Auburn, and that's on August 31st. A top 20 showdown, Oregon wins. That looks really good on the rest of the conference. For Nick Cope, I'm Brian Fenley. We will see you back here tomorrow with plenty more from fall camp.